everyone. Welcome again to Trinity. We're glad that you're here today. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and we're going to be taking a look at this story of Jonah in a little more detail together to see what we can learn uh, for our own lives and our own walk with God. Uh, now, we are studying the whole book of Jonah. We're going to be going through it chapter by chapter over these weeks. Tony kicked it off last week with a little introduction. Uh, just want to encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. If you have a Bible at home that you use to read and to study and maybe take some notes in, having it with you these weeks as we study Jonah together would be helpful so you can kind of follow along and uh, maybe take some notes in there as well. Now, before we dive into chapter one this morning, just want to review a couple of things uh, that Tony kind of shared with you last week to kind of set the context again of this book that we're in. Uh, first of all, Jonah is one of the books of the prophets, but it's different than all the other prophetic books in the Old Testament. You see, all the other prophetic books of the Old Testament are the words of a prophet. They are the recording of the words that the prophet was speaking to the nations around them uh, on God's behalf. But the book of Jonah is different. Rather than it being just the words of the prophet, it's really the story about a prophet, and not a very good prophet at that as we uh, study this book, as we learn this story. Now, I, I told you it's a story, but I want to make sure you understand it's, it's not just a story. It's really a history. The, the events in this really occurred. This isn't a parable or a fable or something like that. Uh, these are real events that occurred in history somewhere right around 750 B.C., so about 750 years before the birth of Jesus, uh, about 250 years after King David was on the throne in Israel, David's about 1,000 B.C., and uh, Jesus right around zero. And, and so these events take place about 750 years before Jesus. And uh, there's a place involved in these. The city of Nineveh is going to become very central and important in the story. Let me tell you a little bit about that city we know Nineveh is a very ancient city. It was settled somewhere around 6,000 B.C., so 8,000 years ago from our perspective. Uh, by, the, by right around 1300 B.C., uh, it had become an important city in the Assyrian Empire. And, uh, and by the way, about 100 years after this story, in 650 B.C., Nineveh becomes the largest city in the world. And it actually stays the largest city in the world for a number of years until in 612 B.C., uh, the Babylonians take over and they destroy Nineveh in a battle with the Assyrians. Now, just a little bit more about the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a very warlike nation, very warlike people. Everything they did was accomplished through fighting. Uh, they were, slavery was central to their economy and, uh, and to their culture. Uh, they were polytheists. They worshipped lots of other gods, gods like Ashtar and Ishtar and Nabu and Nergal and Timat and Marduk. So they, they were polytheists. They worshipped lots of different gods. And an important part of their worship of those gods was child sacrifice and temple prostitution. In other words, these were not very nice people. In fact, um, one historian describes the Assyrians this way. It says, while historians tend to shy away from analogies, it's tempting to see the Assyrian Empire, which dominated the Middle East from 900 to 612 BC, as a historical forebear of Nazi Germany. So that kind of gives you a picture of the city of Nineveh, what it was like in this place where God is going to send Jonah, uh, and you'll understand why God wanted Jonah to cry out against the city. They were doing some very, very nasty things. 
Now, now, one more thing. There's a really cool structure to the book of Jonah that, that hopefully you'll notice. Uh, the first chapter is a story. It's the story of Jonah and the sailors, and we just heard that story read. We're going to look at that in a little more detail in a minute. The third chapter is another story. It's about Jonah and the people of Nineveh, and actually, Jonah actually goes to Nineveh, and it's about what Jonah does with the people there in Nineveh. And sandwiched around these two stories are two prayers by Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, which we're going to study next week, is Jonah's first prayer. It's really a prayer of repentance, although I'll leave it to you to decide how sincere you think that repentance is, okay? And, and then Jonah chapter 4 is another prayer, only this prayer, in this prayer, Jonah isn't asking God for something. In this prayer, Jonah is telling God off. He's telling God how angry he is with him. And we'll get to that the last week of this series. But as I said, this week we're starting with Jonah 1. It's that story of Jonah and the sailors. You just heard it read. Uh, let's dive right into it. It starts with these words. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now there's two words here that I want to make sure you don't miss. God says, Arise and go. Now, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you've seen these words a lot. Because there are a number of occasions where God shows up in the Old Testament, either to kings or to judges or to prophets, and God has a command for them. God says to them, arise, go. Let's look at a few examples of that. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon, one of the judges, God says to him in verse 9, arise and go. He sends him to the Midianite camp. And guess what? Just a verse later, uh, it says to us, then Gideon went down to the camp. God says, arise, go to the camp. Gideon goes down to the camp. Here's another one. This is in 1 Samuel 23. This is David right before he becomes king. And God says to him, arise, go to Keilah. And the very next verse says, and David and his men went to Keilah. Here, here's another example. This is Elijah, the prophet Elijah. God says, arise, go to Zarephath. And the very next verse, it says, so he rose and went to Zarephath. You starting to see a pattern here? Here, let's take a look at another one. The prophet Jeremiah. God says, arise, go to the Euphrates. And writing in the first person in the next verse, Jeremiah says, then I went to the Euphrates. One more, here's Ezekiel. God says, arise, go into the valley. And Ezekiel says, so I arose and went out into the valley. Every single time in the Old Testament, when God says to someone, arise and go, the very next verse, they arise and they go, except for Jonah. We heard it already. God says to Jonah, arise, go. And then the narrative tells us, but Jonah went the opposite direction. Wow. Now, right away, you, you, should, you almost want to gasp when you hear that, right? If, if you know this pattern in the Old Testament, you see this, you're like, what? And look at what it says. The verse literally says this, that Jonah not only, arrived, not only got up and went the opposite direction, but it says that Jonah went down the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He's trying to get away from God. Now, now, by the way, um, 
right after this verse then, I want to make sure you don't miss something because some of your translations may have obscured this a little bit because there's a word in the Hebrew that is going to occur six times in these next verses over and over and over again. And in some of the English translations, it's not apparent that that's the case. So I want to point this out to you. Right away there in verse 3, it says, but Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And then it says he went, first of all, it says he went down to Joppa. He was up in the hill country of Israel. Joppa is a port city on the Mediterranean. Nineveh's that way, by the way. So he goes this way, down to Joppa, we're told. And then later in that same verse, the word occurs again. It says he pays his fare, and then he goes to the, to the pier, and then he goes down into the ship. Okay, so down to Joppa, down into the ship. Then a couple verses later, while he's on the ship, we're told he doesn't stay on the upper deck, but we're told he goes down into the hold of the ship. And when he gets down into the hold of the ship, we're told he goes down into a deep sleep. And then, by the way, after this whole thing happens with the storm and, and with, the, with, the, with the sailors and this whole conversation with them and they figure out who he is and what he's doing and they cast lots and they figure out the storm is because of Jonah, finally they throw him into the water and it says he goes down into the depths of the sea. And there's one more down. We have to cheat a little bit. We have to go into chapter 2, which we're going to study next week. But Jonah, in describing what happened to him, concludes at the end of it that he says he went down to the land whose bars closed around me forever. So God says, arise, go. And Jonah goes down to Joppa, down to the ship, down into the hold, down into a deep sleep, down into the sea, and finally ends up down to the land whose bars closed around me forever. Now, by the way, that's an interesting phrase. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message today, okay? So, so what's going on here? What is the author trying to tell us by, by where God says, arise, go, and Jonah doesn't do it. He doesn't arise. In fact, he goes down, 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 down. What is the author trying to tell us? Well, first of all, you know, there's the obvious thing, that, that Jonah is trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible, right? If you take a look at a map of that day, Nineveh is like over here, and Tarshish is over here. It's like as far as you can get and still be in the known world away from Nineveh. That somehow Jonah thinks that if he heads out to sea and he heads far away to Tarshish, that somehow he can get away from God. But that's silly, isn't it? And Jonah should have known better. Because look at one of the psalms that Jonah would have known, that Jonah would have had memorized. It, it says this, the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Where shall I go f- to flee from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, God, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. In other words, the psalmist is saying, it doesn't matter where I go, from the highest heights to the lowest depths to the farthest places in the sea. He says, God, wherever I go, you are going to be there. Jonah should have known that physically there was no place on the face of the earth he could go to get away from God. But folks, again, there's more going on there than this. This isn't just Jonah trying to physically get away from God. And again, the author, whoever wrote and recorded this story about Jonah, is trying to help us see this by repeating that down, 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 down. He's trying to help us see that there's also something spiritual going on with Jonah right now. 
That's not just that he's running away physically from God. He's running away emotionally from God. He's running away spiritually from his God. Now, that's kind of interesting. See, when we talk about our relationship with God, we tend to do it in two different ways. Because honestly, the Bible talks about it in two different ways. One of the ways that the Bible talks about our relationship with God is it says you are either in or you are out. You are either part of God's family or you're not part of God's family. It talks about things like, you know, if Jesus were to come today, some of us would go to heaven with him, some of us would not. You're either in or out. It says things like your name is either written in the book of life or it's not written in the book of life. You're either lost or you're found. So as we consider the people in this story, who's in and who's out? Well, at the beginning of the book, Jonah is certainly in. He is one of the children of Israel. He is part of God's family. He is one of God's prophets. Jonah's in. He's a part of the family. But the sailors and the Ninevites, they're on the outside. They don't worship the true God. They don't know the true God. They worship other gods. They they worship pagan gods. They're out. But this story is so much more complicated than that. See, because there's another way the Bible talks about our relationship with God other than just you're in or you're out. And, uh, and, and to understand that, let's take a look at another, uh, another couple of verses in this first chapter of Jonah. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted out to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. So so these sailors that were out, that were not part of God's family, they didn't worship the true God, it it tells us that the first thing they do when they're in trouble is they cry out to their gods, but obviously they don't have a lot of confidence that their gods are going to do anything to help because immediately they start throwing cargo overboard too to try to take things into their own hands, to try to lighten the ship. But what happens? Well, they find out that Jonah is the cause of all this. And and it it starts with the captain of the sailors. He goes to Jonah, and look at what he says to Jonah. He says, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will help us. In other words, the sailors are realizing their gods aren't doing anything. Now, why was that? Why weren't their gods doing anything? Because they don't exist. And, And so the sailor goes to Jonah, and he goes, Jonah, call to your God. Maybe your God will help us. And then we're told later in verse 14 that the sailors, they do cry out to Jonah's God. They turn towards the true God and they begin to pray to him. They begin to cry out to him. And by the way, it starts to have its effect on them. There's this interesting thing where where Jonah finally says, look, I'm the cause of this, just throw me into the sea. And you expect the sailors to go, okay, and throw them into the sea, but they don't right away. Look at what it says. Instead of throwing him into the sea, the first thing they try to do is they try to save him. It it says they tried to row towards the land as hard as they could. Now, interestingly enough, how many of you are boaters? What do you do when there's bad waves? Do you head for the shore as fast as you can? No, you head to deeper water, right? If you try to get near the shore when when it's really windy, you're going to get thrown up against the rocks or you're going to get pounded on the bottom by one of the swells. The fact is, if you're in a, in a boat at sea when the storm gets bad, you go to deeper water because it's safer there. Not these guys. Why? Because they're trying to help Jonah. 
And then, by the way, we're told just a few verses later, after they finally do give up and they throw Jonah into the sea, the seas calm, and do you remember what it said? They began to make sacrifices and vows to the true God. So let's go back to our little diagram here. There's another way of thinking about your relationship to God, whether you're in or whether you're out. And the question is, are you oriented towards God or away from him? Now, how about Jonah? Would you say Jonah's oriented towards God or away from him? It's away from him, isn't it? Even though he's part of God's family, even though he's very close to God, he's talking with God at the beginning of this story, as the story unfolds, we see Jonah just get further and further and further away from his God. But, uh, but what about the sailors? They're oriented towards God, aren't they? They're actually beginning to know and understand him. They're starting to make vows to him, and, and it's starting to have an effect on how they treat other people. And by the way, in a couple of chapters, we're going to see the same thing with the evil people of Nineveh, that they're actually oriented towards God. They're going to repent of their sin. In fact, even their animals are going to repent. It's pretty amazing. Now, interestingly enough, this pattern of people who are very close to God pulling away from him and people who are very far from God drawing towards him is repeated again and again and again in Scripture. It's repeated when Jesus comes. There's this verse in Luke chapter 15 that says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, people who are very far from God. Now the tax collectors and sinners, it says, were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. There was something about Jesus that told people that were on the outskirts, people that were not in the circle, people that were far away from God, there was something about Jesus that told them that they could draw near to him, that attracted them to him. But what about the Pharisees, the people that were closest to God when Jesus shows up? It says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So you've got the Pharisees who, like Jonah, were close to God, doing just what Jonah did, turning their backs on God and walking away from him. And you've got tax collectors and sinners, just like sailors and Ninevites, who, when they confront the true God, are actually drawn towards him. So I've got two questions for you this morning. The first question is this. Are you in or are you out? Is your name written in the book of life or not? If Jesus came today, would you be going to heaven with him or wouldn't you? Folks, that's an important question. And if you're not sure of the answer to that question, I would challenge you, that's a question you don't want to be wrong about. That's a question you want to make sure you know the answer to. Are you a forgiven child of God? Have you been baptized? Are you a part of God's family? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And if, and if you don't, or if you want to learn more, or if you're not sure, boy, I would encourage you to talk to me or to, to Pastor Tony or to somebody here at, at Trinity Green Trails because you want to know the answer to that question. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I'm in. I'm a child of God. Jesus is my Savior. If Jesus came today, I know I'd be going to heaven. I've got a question for you, though. Which way are you pointed? 
Are, are you drawing closer every day to him? Are you growing more and more like Jesus every day? Are you growing deeper in your relationship with him? Are you moving towards him? Or unfortunately, like Jonah, have you started to drift away? Have you let the cares and the concerns of this world or, or the struggles of daily life or, or maybe just the busyness of daily life or, or, or maybe it's, the, the, it's, it's a lot more dire than that. It's God is calling you to do something and you know what it is, but like Jonah, you just don't want to do it. Folks, now, hear me clearly. I'm not saying that if you're turned away from him that God has turned his back on you. That's not the case at all. In fact, we see in this story of Jonah that Jonah gets thrown into the sea. And, uh, and remember I said there was that one last down where Jonah says that eventually he went down to the land um, whose bars closed around me forever? A lot of theologians believe what Jonah's saying in here is that literally he died. He drowned. When that fish swallowed him up, he wasn't swallowing up a guy that was going to sit and take notes in his belly for a couple of days, that, that literally... Jonah was dead, but God was not through with him yet. Now, whether he was literally dead or whether he was near death, whatever happens, we're told that, that after a few days, God has that, that fish spit Jonah back up on the shore, and Jonah has another chance. So, so hear me clearly, folks. You have a God that loves you dearly. And, uh, and if you have wandered away from him, if you have turned your back on him, if you have run away from him, he is not going to give up on you, just like he didn't give up on Jonah. I, I love these words in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. I love that verse. Paul wants to make sure we get it. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, do you see what he says? He says, first, that God is rich in mercy. Second, he says, God has great love for us. It's with great love that he has loved us. And then finally, it says, through Christ, together with Christ, it is by grace that we have been saved. Folks, no matter how far you wander from God, no matter how long you've had your back turned on him, he's just waiting you can't get away from him. You've got nowhere to hide. He is there for you, just waiting to show you his love and grace, just waiting to get you turned in the right direction, ever seeking to draw you closer and closer to him.